Talk 1110-993 WBT. Here we go. Hour number two. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. 1110, and uh, email is Pete at the Pete Callender Show.com. Um Okay, well, you know what? Hang on a second. All right, I'm I'm calling an audible. Omaha at the line. I'm going to go over here because I've got some emails that I just opened up and uh, some emails here. So uh, last hour we were t- we started off talking about the um, uh, the shooting at the North Lake Mall. Uh, from there, uh, talked to sort of more in general about uh, crime, uh, and th- then moved on to the urban doom loop. Right, uh, the the fear uh, that is growing uh, that America's major cities, Charlotte included, we are I think we're number fifteen now. Um, that we that that the urban core, the central business districts of the cities, uh, are, are in for a very difficult time because uh, real estate, uh, the commercial real estate market, uh, based on the pandemic, the rise of work from home, crime, homelessness. All of these things are keeping people from wanting to return to the downtown areas. Uh, and remember, Joe Biden, um, when he remember when he declared the pandemic was over? I mean, yeah, yeah. Like a couple months back after his election, of course, and he, he said it was over. And he said, you know, we need to get people back into our great American cities. And there, so because it creates this self-perpetuating cycle that that the cities that generate all this revenue, they're not generating the revenue. And so then what happens is it becomes a less desirable place because now you can't pay for the core services that you were supposed to be doing, but you then spent so crazy on everything else on the shiny objects and the new buildings and all these things to attract people. Uh, Maybe you did a whole bunch of giveaways to uh, corporate headquarters and stuff. And now they're not there anymore. All of that stuff matters, right? So this is the fear that there's going to be this doom loop inside the cities. But along the lines of the, the crime aspect was an idea that uh, Caller Dean made. Uh, this idea was to put the body scanners, you know, they put the body scanners at the schools and they caught a kid, what, yesterday or a day before trying to sneak an unloaded gun into this into a school. And so everybody's like, yes, it worked, which, yes, it, it, they do work, right? So that's the point. So maybe we need to start putting the scanners in the malls, first somebody suggested. Then Dean suggested maybe we uh, maybe we could sell the scanners uh, for residential use, for personal use, and people could put them on their own front doors. But Dean's thought was to try to protect himself from his in-laws. I don't know why, but... And I guess they don't have a great relationship or something, but he was very worried about the in-laws. So he said, put the, put it on the outside of the door. So I suggested an improvement to this idea because you know me, right? There are no bad ideas under the cone of creativity. We're, we're trying to find solutions. So I said, put the scanners, just flip them around. So this way, when you're walking out, you would trip the alarm and you would know that a gun is trying to, to tag along with you because that's apparently because these guns, they're just killing lots of people, and you may not know. There could be one that just like like a tick, right? It just jumps on you, and you just carry it around. You don't even know it. So this would alert you. And then we kind of had some ideas about maybe working some uh, uh, NFTs in there, maybe with Dean in like a superhero outfit or something. 
Anyway, that part's still in the works. All right, let me go to the phones here. This is Mark. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the program. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, I'm well. What's up? All right, man. I just want to tell you about my whole deal at the mall, man. I was there. Okay. I was there. It was the worst day and the best day of my life. Okay. All in one. The mall was hectic, and I saw the... I saw everything went down. I ducked and I ducked and hid under the and hid behind the counter where the cash register was at. What what store was this at? I was in I was in Macy's. Okay. And I and I saw it all, man. What did so? What did you so? What what was the first thing you saw that? Because a lot of times people don't like the brain doesn't realize what it's seeing at first because it's so out of the. Uh, it's so abnormal, so out of the ordinary, right? That the brain, it's called the, the normalcy bias, why people always say it sounds like fireworks. They thought it was fireworks because the, the brain doesn't recognize that, hey, this is gunfire, right? So anyway, so what was the first indication? I, I, knew, I knew it was gunfire, man. I knew it. I knew it. I heard the screams. Uh-huh. I knew it was gunfire. And it, it, shook, it, it, it shook the bajillions out of me, man. Yeah. And I, I, was, I was scared. I was scared from a lot, man. I didn't know what was going on. And, ha- and I so happened to go get me a stretch off. I was riding through Concord, and I go get me a stretch off, and guess what? I hit for $2.5 million. That's why I said the best day of my life and the worst day. Are you serious? Is this a bit? Is this a, is this? No, it's not. So you, all right, so you were at the mall. So it's actually, I mean, it, you were at the mall. You didn't. So you didn't see the fight, you're saying? No, I didn't see the fight. I heard the shot. You heard the shots. Yes, sir. I heard the shots, Mr. Collins. All right. So you, yeah. And then you jumped behind the counter. Yes, sir. And then you hid. And then, right. And then how did you, uh, how did you know that it was an all clear? Uh, because the police told us that it's all clear. They, they locked us down for a little bit to let us out. You know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't too much going on after that. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. And then you hit a, uh, you hit, so where'd you go to the, what? Uh, I went to the QT in Concord. Uh huh. Right on the other side of the, of the cemetery. That's where I went. And I got the ticket. All right. And it's the worst day and the best day of my life. Well, I mean, I could, I, I could argue it was sort of best day, best day, because I mean, you didn't get shot. Yeah, great. Right. And then I want two point five million on top of that. I'm on my way to Raleigh right now. You're on your way to what? Collect the money? Yes, sir. Hey, Mark, if you would like to swing on by the studio. And drop off a Christmas present for me on your way home. I I, I will make a point to stick around for that. Sounds good, Mr. Kelly. Give me information. I got you. No, no. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas to you, Mark. Congratulations, man. I it I want to believe you. I, I mean, what's that? Thanks a lot, brother. All right, man. Take it easy. Good for you. That's that is a story, man. I'll tell you. That's pretty. I hope he makes it to Raleigh. Okay, like that it would. See, that's where my brain goes. See how easy it is for me to just slip into the into the pessimistic. I'm glad he's okay. And I wish I had gone to the QT in Concord yesterday afternoon and bought some scratch-offs. That's pretty cool. Uh, all right, let me go over here to Neil. Hello, Neil. Hey, how you doing, sir? Oh, I am all right. What's up? Prime example, there was a red wave. If you take a look at the congressional races across the country, most of the land area, small cities, small towns were red. The only thing that was blue was basically your big, large cities on the East Coast, okay? That's one reason why people are going out of the cities. Another prime example is Eastland Mall. People are moving I to the cities. Out. Yeah. Yeah. I worked out there. 
I saw what happened to crime, and eventually that mall got torn down mm-hmm. because of because of the safety factor. Mm-hmm. North Lake, the rumor, the, the the even though you may say it, the rumor is don't go there. Mm-hmm. Well, but people do. I, you know, yeah, but people do. But basically, you know, crime's picking up. I won't go downtown anymore. So I, mean, I, I stay away from basically malls. I stay away from any crime area because basically, hey, I'm 70 years old. I mm-hmm. don't have the young strength anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a young bunk anymore. Mm-hmm. So my common sense says stay away. Right. So, know, so, and so forth. Right. But, Neil, there are a lot of other people that are younger than you that don't. So, so your, personal, your personal risk assessment does not transfer to other people. In fact, like people are moving to the cities. This is one of the problems that the, um, uh, that the Democrats uh, – are are presented with is that they keep packing in to these uh to these urban core areas and um and it's harder for them to win more seats then because they're in one place they're not spread out now that doesn't but, but on the other hand people who like you point to the you you pointed to the map and like the map has a lot of red on it and that's true but that's just landmass that's not population Right. It's just that's just acreage and acreage doesn't vote. Right. I mean, I so it's a I understand what you're saying, like that there was a, quote, red wave the, the where the wave where you see the wave or ripples, depending on what election cycle, where you see it is in the suburbs, because the rural areas continue to vote red and the urban areas continue to vote blue. And they basically are they're very uh, close in um, in population sizes. Right. So where you see the main difference is the what you know the suburban areas or exurban areas around these core cities. That's where the that's where the sway occurs, the swing occurs between uh, Republican and Democrat. Like with the moderate Republicans generally being the most swingable demographic. But you also realize that your small towns, urban areas, we really don't depend on big government. Mm-hmm. We basic we have our own little infrastructure. If you take a look at the churches or whatever social needs. We help we help other people. Yeah. We really do. Okay? Because we realize government's not going to do it. We have to do it. We have to get our roll up our sleeves and go on one-on-one. And it works. Your big cities, they depend on government. Well, the trouble is government can't do anything. They're, they're, they're inefficient. And that's why no problems get solved. So the problems exist in the small towns, too. I know, uh, uh, I mean, my in-laws live in a very, very small town not far from here. So, um and they're raising a family there, and, and we spend a lot of time out there. So, like, they have problems as well, and uh, their local churches are struggling just as the local governments uh, here in Charlotte struggle, right? It's just at a different scale. Nobody's got the answers to this, particularly, you know, homelessness, addiction, and that sort of stuff. It's ravaging everywhere. The problem that the rural areas have is that they're exporting their kids. That's the biggest problem, is that the kids growing up in the more rural areas— they're moving away because there are no opportunities. And it may be fine for you at 70 years old. You want, you know, you want the, the, the slower, quieter pace of life, and this is what is attractive to you now. But for somebody who is, you know, 21, 22, they want to go out into the world and make their mark, and they want to, you know, accumulate wealth and start a family and do all of those things that they think they want to do and need to do, they can't find those opportunities in the rural areas. And that's, that's a challenge. Well, yeah. You know, same, you know, same, same thing. Yeah. Where do you want to live? Yeah. Where do you want what type? What type of lifestyle do you want to have? You know, I want the quiet, small town. You know, go to church, everything on the weekends, the whole nine yards. I don't need the big city life. Yeah. No, I hear you. I appreciate you. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. And I've been in both of those camps myself. Neil, I do appreciate the call. 
1110993 WBT. I got a couple of tweets here. They're Pete tweets. App Patriot Girl says, Pete, statistics show the more people who legally carry firearms, the lower the crime rates are. We need more people to carry, not less. Also, actually prosecuting criminals helps. <laughs> yes. Uh, Tom says, Pete, you forgot to talk about others who seem to condone the crime crap. Woke DAs and revolving door judges who let the frequent flyers walk. Exactly. Uh, thank you, Ikifu. Shiny new thingies. Is that what he called? Is that what Larson used to call them? Shiny new thingies. Don't forget, this is from Holly, who says, don't forget the messages about climate change and their effect on working from home. That's true. That's right. Yeah. Work from home. Save Gaia Earth. I mean, yes, you're going to have to have more things delivered by more, you know, diesel belching uh, trucks, but it's okay because I'm not doing the driving and that's what's important. Richard, welcome to the program. Hey, Richard. Hey, I'm good, man. What's up? Uh, two points. I was just at a jewelry store, kind of large jewelry store, going to buy my wife some Christmas. So there's like three cops there that are moonlighting. So I said, let me talk to them, see how they do, blah, blah, blah. So we started talking about the North Lake shooting. And they, they started laughing. They said, they can't get cops to work there for $100 an hour. Wow. Yeah. I was shocked because it's a joke. The, 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 the risk is not worth the reward for even the police. So why is that? Why is that? They're, they're afraid that if they have to do something that they're going to lose their job? They're going to get caught on video or something? That is, that's correct. It's uh. just not worth it for them. So my, my other point is there has to be extreme consequences for people acting, shooting, or bad behavior. So it's the perfect storm. You don't have cops that really want to engage, and then you have people that have no consequences. It's a perfect storm. Yeah, and there's an, yeah the, 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 the antisocial behavior, the, the raging narcissism, uh, you know, the, the, this, this idea that, I mean, it's, it's a level of self-centeredness that I don't think we have ever seen at this scale, right? You would, I mean, you encounter people that are selfish, self-centered in the course of your life, but to have an entire society made up of people that are like this, I, I, that's what I see. People are totally desensitized in terms of the violence that's going on. So, I listen, I'm, I'm, I'm from the Bronx. I could not tell. And I could tell you that... The insensitivity in terms of people uh, uh, victimizing each other is extreme. People, they'll take selfies, they'll take photos of people being robbed and killed. Right. Now, I, so I, I do caution this, because, uh, and I'll, I'll use this as an opportunity to do this, because um, there, is the, there is a tendency to believe that the good old days were always good. Right. And like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe people would take these selfies and these pictures and these videos and such. But people were taking pictures of lynchings 100 years ago. Right. Not even 100 years ago. So people did do these people engaged in these kinds of behaviors, first of all, in the past as well. I don't think the scale uh, is what we see now. But the other side of this is that we had this rise in violent crime in the what 70s. 
you know, from the 60s, 70s, 80s. And then there was eventually the backlash against that, right? And that's how you ended up with, uh, who was it? Was it Biden or Hillary that called uh, uh, super predators, right? Like all of the three strikes. Yeah, Joe Biden. He had the, 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 uh, uh, the three strikes laws, right? All of these things came about that, that people are now trying to deconstruct. The, all of those laws came about as a reaction to these, you know, ridiculously high crime rates. And I think, think, uh, yeah, and so I think that we are, it's, it, I think everything kind of goes in cycles. And I think that we're going to, we're going to repeat some of that. People are just more afraid to go against the woke narrative now. Mm -hmm. So you're right. There's going to come a point where people say enough is enough. I hope. But I don't have any faith in it. Right. Well, I think that'll be expressed via the polls, right? I think um, people will vote in candidates that are going to be, you know, tough on crime, clean up the city kind of stuff, a la Rudy Giuliani, right? I I mean, I don't think anybody expected uh, a Republican to ever be mayor of New York City again, and then along comes Rudy Giuliani because people were so fed up. And then, you know, the other side of that is that what he proposes, he has to enact, and then it has to work, Right. So that that's the other critical component here is that the things that if if people are going to run on a you know tough on crime law and order campaign and then they win, then that will send the signal to other politicians. Hey, this is where the people are. You need to get on board with this too. And then of course you need to deliver. And if you deliver and you win re-election, then more and more people will will you know join you in your efforts. I think that's. I mean, but I don't know how bad it's got to get before you start seeing that kind yeah, of a response. I thought that was going to happen in the midterms, and it didn't happen. So yeah. I guess we got to go more to rock bottom. Right. We have not We have not yet begun to fully stink. All right. Uh, appreciate the call. Richard, thank you, sir. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It's a Pete tweet from Christopher. Uh, Democrats, shiny object spending versus core spending. Shiny object spending is the transfer or laundering of tax money to Democrat patronage army allies and NGOs. That's why homelessness is a big industry in a lot of places. Heavily government funded homelessness NGOs, non-government organizations. Yeah, there's an entire cottage industry that exists because the problem doesn't get fixed. And so the people who advocate for, quote, solutions actually have an interest in not getting things solved. Because if they solve a lot of the problems, then there's no reason for them to exist, right? So I get that. Uh, We have uh, breaking news. Um, The North Carolina State Supreme Court, as expected, because this was the plan, they struck down the voter ID law just, uh, what, two weeks now before the Democrats are uh, removed from the bench because they've lost their majority. So this is the zombie court scenario I told you was likely going to happen. That's why they fast-tracked these cases. They skipped around um, other courts and fast-tracked the process in order to get the ruling out the door because they knew they were going to get their butts handed to them which they did, and so they issue these rulings on the way out the door. I'll go into, I'll go into some of i got to read through uh, some of the court opinions. Let me jump over here to the phones again. Let me get Terry on. Hello, Terry. Welcome to the show. 
Hey, Pete, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. What's yeah. going on? You were you were talking about the uh, urban death loop. Yeah. And I always I look at those things as the law of unintended consequences. You know, everybody thinks they're doing the right thing, and in, in some cases, it very well, well may be that. But there's always that unintended consequence or consequences that that affect you know everybody afterwards. And, and like what you were so- talking about, or well, let's go to COVID. They said, you know, if we only shut down for two weeks. Everything will be fine. And then two weeks became months and all the people staying at home and, you know, and, and they're saying, well, we're, we're defeating COVID. We weren't, but they said we were. Mm-hmm. And then, but all those restaurants and all those small businesses and the hotels and, you know, everybody else that was, that took it really bad and went out of business, it was just an unintended consequence. And that's, you know, kind of like I always think about that whenever I hear something supposed to be really good. I always think, well, what are the unintended consequences? Right, but and that's thoughts? right. Well, there's the and there's the rub. If you are able to predict with any degree of accuracy what all the unintended consequences would be, I mean, like, dude, you could rule the world. <laughs> right, I mean that's because that's the whole that's the whole thing. Unintended consequence. People don't think in those terms. It's, it's one of the, and it's only through the trials of different things that in experiments that you find out what those consequences are, and then we can hopefully learn from those mistakes and say, okay, well, let's not do that again. Right, and this is why with the COVID stuff that you mentioned specifically, there needs to be a reckoning. There has to be a reckoning to say. Uh, you know, from our, in our state, our governor, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper, has to say, here are the things that we did, here are the things that worked as intended, here are the things that did not work, and why we shouldn't do those again. But he he's a politician, and so they cannot ever acknowledge that what they did was wrong. You see the same thing on the right with Donald Trump and the vaccines, right, with Operation Warp right. Speed. So, And, like, and no, none of his people... Well, ever I'm, I'm in a running argument with one of these idiots on uh, Twitter, which is where I do most of my uh, arguing with idiots, and um, and and he's you know making this argument in defense of Donald Trump and against vaccines, but like that's that was under Trump's watch. That was him. So if that was a mistake, then we have to say the, these were mistakes, and Trump should not have done it. These were mistakes. We should not have locked down Governor Cooper. Um, well, maybe we should have locked down right. Governor Cooper, but. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Well, I think I think you're going to see the same thing with this homelessness. They're 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 gonna they're gonna come up with some way they say to fix it, but it'll just keep you know the the, the problem will just get worse and worse and worse because they, like you say they never fix it. But the well, unintended consequences are people are making money on it. Yep. And. Uh, that, they're not going to let it go. So. Well, and, and anyhow, and, Merry Christmas to you. You too, Terry. I appreciate. It. Well, I'm going to be here all next week too. But Merry Christmas if we don't speak again. Uh, appreciate the call. Great points. And I think you're seeing this exact thing in uh, in California, San Francisco specifically. And Michael Schellenberger has been doing great work on this. He's the author of that book, San Francisco. And uh, in I, I believe it's the policy in California, in the big cities, L.A., San Fran. Their policies are. I think they call it. Um, Housing first, and, and so again to the this idea of unintended consequences. They say, "Well, you got to have housing first, right? That's how you solve homelessness, and you help these people break the cycle of addiction. Whatever you got to get them into in, into their own living space, into an apartment, into a hotel, right? Housing first." And what Schellenberger says is, 
That has been tried. It doesn't work. What you need to do is have shelter first, emergency shelter. So shelters, but the and this is why the uh, the housing first people oppose it is that shelters require you to be sober. No drug use, no fighting, right? And the housing first people don't like the shelter first idea because of that. And so you have this entire open air drug scene that is fueled, that's at the heart of a lot of these homeless, uh, homelessness problems. And shelters actually help address that if they have these restrictions. A housing first model does not. But then you have all of these government agencies that administer those programs. Milton Friedman talked about this decades ago. That the vast majority, he said the only government program he has ever found that truly is a wealth transfer from the, essentially the rich to the poor. You know what it is? Food stamps. And it and that's why it doesn't have a lot of support among the middle class because most of the middle class benefits from government programs and services. Why? Because they're the ones that administer it. They're the ones that run the agencies, that go to work, that do these, you know, uh, do the paper pushing and the assessments and all that. Essentially jobs programs, right? They benefit. There's a lot of tax cuts and stuff like that, that uh, the middle class gets as well. So there's always this pitch from our friends on the left that, you know, we need to tax the rich, tax the rich in order to help the poor. But in actuality, as Friedman noted decades ago, the vast majority of the programs help the middle class more than they help anybody else sometimes to the exclusion of anybody else. So it's quite one thing to say, go tax that guy and give me his money. It's another thing to say, go tax that guy so we can help that poor person over there while you take the money. <laughs> right? All right, I'll get to more of your calls in a moment. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Carolina Journal reporting two weeks before they are set to lose their majority... North Carolina Supreme Court Democrats issued rulings today striking down the state's photo voter identification law and the election map used for state Senate races. Both rulings featured party line 4-3 splits with the court's four Democrats outvoting their three Republican colleagues. Voters unseated one of those Democrats in the November 8th election and... um, They elected a new Republican to fill the open seat. State Supreme Court's now going to be 5-2 Republican. But this was the whole reason uh, the Democrats fast-tracked these cases was in order to get uh, them to be the ones uh, to write the majority opinions before they lose, which they did. And that's where we are now. Um, Anita Earls, activist turned judge. Uh, well, she's the founder of the Southern Coalition for Social Justice, which has been suing the North Carolina legislature for like a decade since Republicans won. And then that, you know, she parlayed that into uh, a Supreme Court seat. Oh, and uh, now the her successor, Allison Riggs, um, at the Southern Coalition for Social Justice, uh, she has now been appointed by Governor Roy Cooper to the North Carolina Court of Appeals. That seat opened up when Richard Dietz got elected to the Supreme Court. So he moves up to the Supreme Court. It created a vacancy on the Court of Appeals. And Roy Cooper names Allison Riggs, a leftist activist lawyer for the Southern Coalition of Social Justice, to now fill that seat. So 
Fear not, my liberal friends, the leftist to bench pipeline remains intact. All right, let me go over here and get Joe on the program. Hello, Joe. What's going on? Hi there, sir. Good to talk to you again. Yes, sir. Well, I was uh, wanting to comment. We were talking about the murder rate and so mm-hmm. forth. And I wanted to mention, I remember I studied this stuff off and on. Uh, and basically, they did a study and found out that it, countries that basically acquired TV, in other words, they got TV waves and, and people were able to have TV, that the murder rate doubled. Hmm. And because, you know, I mean, most people don't watch boring TV. They want action. They want, and that action usually involves killing and stuff like that. You know, it's not usually fairy tales. And basically, that lowers the threshold for people who start thinking about murder. Well, uh, that that would indicate, though, that uh, Hollywood has an influence on the culture, which I have been assured that it most certainly does not, except yeah, when right. it comes that's to uh, gay rights. Dollars for advertising. <laughs> that's right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. But uh, and also, there was a court, a Supreme Court case, where I believe a judge—I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure—I can't remember the case though. Where the judge, you know, in a lower court, said, you know, when he was basically sentencing the the murderer, he said, you know, and 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 you know, thou shalt not murder, or thou shalt not kill. Actually, is what mm. he said. And the upper court, I believe, it was the Supreme Court, basically set the criminal free because you separation of church and state. You can't use a verse out of the Bible. In, you know, in conjunction with sentencing a a criminal, and uh, so I'm, yeah. after that they let him go free, and the murder rate doubled in this country. I'm not aware of that story. I will look into it though. But Joe, I appreciate the call. Good to talk with you again, sir. Appreciate it. Um, I, I got to get to this other topic here, which is related to what Joe was talking about. I'm looking at the clock, so I like I got to get to this, and it's pretty in depth. But it's a piece by Stephen Gutowski over at the Reload. TheReload.com. The Center for Disease Control deleted a reference to a study that it commissioned after a group of gun control advocates complained that it made it harder to pass new gun restrictions. You follow that? All right. So there was a lobbying campaign. It went on for months, and it culminated with a private meeting between CDC officials and three advocates, gun grabbers, last summer. The Reload filed a uh, FOIA, Freedom of Information Act request, FOIA request, and they got all these emails. Introductions were made via the White House and Senator Dick Durbin's office. One of the guys um, is uh, Mark Bryant, and they essentially attacked the work of a criminologist named Gary Kleck. And his work that established, his study that established the top end of the range of gun defense, guns used in self-defense, right? It's very difficult to to come up with uh, that data because a lot of times people never report it, right? But he did surveys and whatever. He did he did research, and he, he came up with a number, and that number pegged it at like 2.5 million. 
that the, that the upper end, because it's a defensive gun uses or DGUs, defensive gun uses, and the low end of the estimate is 60,000 times per year, and the high end of the range is 2.5 million times per year. So anywhere between 60,000 and 2.5 million times per year, a gun is used in self-defense, okay? And what these activists said to the CDC was, that 2.5 million figure is so high that it's making it difficult for us to get new guns, uh, new gun laws passed, more restrictions. The CDC, which did not respond to comment uh, on this story, CDC initially raised some concerns. They were like, wait a minute, well, I mean, this is just research and whatnot. And Kleck stands by his research. He said the CDC never reached out to him for his perspective before it made the change. He argued that the removal of the reference to his estimate was blatant censorship and said it was evidence of the politicization of the agency. Um, there is also, so this guy, Mark Bryant, um, who was one of the activists that lobbied for this change, he runs a group called Gun Violence Archive, or it, yeah, the, which is right exactly what it sounds like. They compile all of the stats, theoretically. They gain notoriety for their mass shootings counting, right? But they use a broad definition of what a mass shooting is. They say where four or more victims are injured compared to the AP definition, Associated Press, where they say four or more killed, right? So whatever, the difference in methodology creates a a huge number for the activists. And so that's what they prefer to use. Meanwhile, right, so... So they expand the definition of, quote, mass shootings. Meanwhile, they're limiting the research data points on GDUs, gun defense stats, because they say too many. It makes it it makes it, you know, harder to pass gun grabby laws. Here's what Dr. Kleck says. You cannot understand any significant aspects of the gun control debate if you eliminate defensive gun use. Right. It becomes inexplicable why so many Americans then oppose gun control measures. Right. If you take away the purpose for why people are opposing the, you know, the reason they oppose gun control laws is because they see it as an infringement on their ability to defend themselves. If you eliminate the data point that supports that reason, then why are people opposed to the laws? Right. Thank <laughs> you.